0: Hello listeners, welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries' Unity in Christ program. For first-time listeners, my name is Christine Kim, and I am the host of this program. that last week, we were renewed by the blood of Christ and lived lives worthy of His calling. I was recently reading the book of Romans, and I discovered something very interesting. It was a verse that I've read and cite often. But previously, I never understood the original language of this verse and missed the interesting point of it. It is a very famous verse that you probably all know, Romans chapter 12 verse 1, and it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This sounds very familiar, right? This passage in Romans is speaking about the spiritual worship we need to give. However, when looking at the original language of Romans, the word spiritual and spiritual worship is known as rogiken. And this term actually has a different meaning from the definition of spiritual that we might be familiar with. The meaning here is rational or reasonable. When looking at different versions of the Bible, it is expressed as spiritual service or spiritual worship, or some versions were translated in the original language as reasonable service. This term spiritual, which holds the original word of Pneumatican, was not used the same way, but instead means reasonable, which is what I found interesting when I studied the original words. Then why do the many versions of the Bible have this interpreted in English as a word spiritual, rather than reasonable worship? I sat and thought carefully about what the Bible was trying to tell us through this. And this is the thought that came to mind. If there is a reasonable worship, then of course there is an unreasonable worship. And if there is a spiritual worship, then of course an unspiritual worship exists as well, which is a worship of the flesh. What is the difference between spiritual worship and worship of the flesh? When the music
1: fades All is stripped away And I simply come Longing just to bring Something that's of worth That will bless your heart Song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, that's the way things appear. You're looking into my heart.
0: Worship of the flesh versus spiritual worship, reasonable worship versus unreasonable worship. Another way of expressing this would be a life of worship versus a religious life or life filled with religiosity. I would think that a worship of the flesh is just a religious life, but a spiritual worship is a life of faith. To simplify even further, a religious life is living life based on ethics and morals. However, a life of faith is gaining righteousness by the blood of Jesus Christ, therefore exhibiting the ethics and morals which would be reasonable for a Christian. Initially, it may seem like similar ideas, and looking in from an external perspective, maybe it appears the same as well. They both are bound to hold similar ethics and morals. However, the fundamental results will be very different. It will be heaven versus hell. The Pharisees lived by keeping the law. They were always conscious of morals and ethics but what kept them striving to obey these laws it was their own will with their own strength they strive to keep their law but for someone who has been called by the blood of Jesus Christ that lives to keep their morals and ethics what strength helps them to do this that's right it is the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us from an external perspective Both follow their morals and ethics, but what is different is a root that comes from the inside. People that live just a religious life, they themselves have to live to carry on. But people who live a Christian life, we ourselves have to die in order for us to live. I have to die for me to listen to the voice of the spirit and to obey to it. This is the spiritual worship that we must give. This is a reasonable worship. When something looks the same from the outside, How can we decipher the difference? Let's use an artificial flower and a real flower as an example. An artificial flower looks just like a real flower on the outside, and sometimes they look even more alive and more fresh. However, there is a definite difference. What do you think is the difference? An artificial flower does not have a scent or life. When we do religious acts, there is no scent of Jesus Christ to be found within it, nor is there any life. However, when we live a Christian life, we die and live by the guidance of the Spirit in obedience to Christ. Within that life is the Son of Jesus Christ and the promise of eternal life. Is a fragrance of Jesus Christ coming out in your life? Can people smell the Son of Christ from your life? Are people coming to know Christ through you? By this, we can tell if the life we are living is just a life based on religious acts or if it is the true life of a Christian.
1: Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you.
0: Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Four Stages of Christian Life, Part 1, based on 1 John 2, verse 12 through 24. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Mark Martin. 1
2: John chapter 2. Now we're going to pick it up at verse 12. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children because you know the Father. I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one these are fun verses fun passage right here and I want us to look at a few things and you didn't have the advantage that I have had of being able to look at it and meditate on it and think about it as long but you'll see that John has divided the Christian life into different stages. And he says you can kinda tell where somebody is at spiritually by the stage they're in. And he divides it in, now there's not an exact, it doesn't go from youngest to the oldest stage, he kind of intermixes it, but he'll state the stage and then give the, that which characterizes the stage. Like, When you think, we were talking just yesterday, one of my kids' birthdays are yesterday and today, and we went out to eat yesterday. We were all going around the table saying, okay, what's your, one of your favorite memories about Emily, and then we all talked about that in the family. And then, what's your favorite memory about Ellie? And we all went around the family talking about our favorite memories. But one of the favorite memories with, uh, one of them was how when they were little and they were in the kitchen, they'd open up the Tupperware cupboard, and they'd pull out all the Tupperware and they'd play it, you know, it was all over the place. And it was just daily, you know, part of the mess. You'd just step around, all that stuff. And, you know, when you think about being a little baby, you think about little things like, uh, you know, rattles and uh, pacifiers and things like that. And then you think about teenage, right? And you think about cars, nothing else. Well, maybe a few other things, but that's pretty big. And then you go through the stages. Well, spiritually, there are some things that characterize new believers, baby believers, and mature believers, and everybody in in between. So let's look at what the Apostle John says of the characteristics of these different stages. And see, these are written that we might know what stage we're in. So, first of all, babies, verse 12. Writing to you, little children. This means little babies, little born ones is what it means, that word is technia in Greek. And this is a stage of new birth. I'm writing to you little children. New believers rejoice, he says, because your sins are what? Forgiven for his name's sake. What do new believers rejoice in? What? I the forgiveness of their sins. They're saved, Right? I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm never going to get over this. And that's okay to be a mature believer rejoicing in that, but the thing that's right in front of a new believer and what they're growing in is understanding the forgiveness of their sins. And this is this tense in the Greek means that your sins are forgiven past, present and future. Your sins are forgiven forever for his name's sake. Isn't that cool? And then another thing that characterizes little Baby believers, and I don't mean you're little if you're a newborn Christian. I don't mean it in a uh, diminutive sense. I just mean we're talking about young believers, is that they know that they're children of God and they're just basking in the love of God. Chapter three, verse one. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called, what? The children of God. And what does he say? Such we are. Whoa, he says, We are the children of God. And this is the same little word, little babies of God. We're the little born ones of God. And so one of the other truths that little babies love in the Lord, new believers are hanging on to is, I'm part of the family of God. I am, I'm part of God's great, big, forever family. And I know my sins are forgiven. And I'm telling you, you can, you can just, Grow in that for a long, long time and be blessed in that. And that's foundational. A lot of people never have that foundational assurance in their lives as newborn believers and that will affect you trying to grow through these other stages. If you don't ever know your sins are really forgiven, see that's what happened to me. I grew and I grew uh, several other steps in my Christian life but because of the church I was raised in, I never understood my sins were forgiven. I was taught a conditional kind of forgiveness. I wasn't taught that sins were totally forgiven for Christ's sake. Even when my sins were forgiven, it was still dependent upon my confession of them. It was still dependent upon my remembering every sin. It was still dependent upon me perfectly overcoming every sin to be totally, in the last day, forgiven. Well, that affects you as you grow up in the Lord. I also never, ever had assurance of salvation. And so every time I sinned, I thought I was lost. Every time there was an invitation to give your life to God, I was wanting to give my life to God again, but I felt guilty. And like, well, God could never accept anybody like me. And I've told you before, it wasn't until my good friend shared the gospel with me, pushed me down in their big overstuffed couch and I couldn't get out. (laughs) Every time I see an old broken down couch, I think, It was a very little house, very tiny little room. And they pushed me down in that and they said, you just listen to us. And they shared the gospel. And I kept saying, but, but what about? And they said, just shut up. Just listen to us. And we knew each other very well and very sweet. And, you know, they could get away with that. And um, I finally, it got through. It got through. God forgave me. God loved me. I'm his child. Well, that works its way through your life. And I think that's why I feel like we need to emphasize that so much for people that we really know those things because if you don't know those things, you will not grow. Okay, this is, this is foundational. We say it's, it's, it's newborn stuff, but another word for that is foundation stuff. And if your house doesn't have a good foundation, what's gonna happen to it? It's, it's gonna fall. It's gonna have problems, even with a good foundation. Storms are gonna hit your life and crash against your life and you need Jesus Christ and if you don't have this good foundation, man, then every time something went wrong, I thought, well, this is God. You know, he's getting me because I'm bad. I've sinned and God's punishing me and you know, when you don't understand grace, you just can get wacky spiritually. Verse 13 now is gonna talk to us about the next stage and that is the stage of being a child. Verse 13 See, the latter part, I call it 13 C. He says, I have written to you children because you, what, know the Father. father. I've written to you children because you know the Father. The word for children there is pideon, And it means a little child who's under instruction. It's somebody who's learning what mommy and daddy likes. And that's the next stage of spiritual walk. You're, You're saved, right? You learn the foundations, your baby, but then you begin to grow and you're you're learning what pleases Daddy, Abba Father, right? What do you want, Daddy? What do you want? And you take those initial steps of obedience. And, and again, they may be very simple steps like, well, doesn't everybody know? You fellowship with other believers. Doesn't everybody know? You pray. Doesn't everybody know that you read the word? No, no, no. Those are things that we learn as basic steps in our Christian life. We're baptized. That pleases the Lord. We, we step into out of some relationships that are sinful, practices that we we discover are sinful as we're reading the word and we see, I wanna please daddy. It's very important stage of development. The next stage is the stage of being a youth in the Lord, being a young person in the Lord. Verse 13b, just step up a sentence in verse 13. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And then look at 14b. I've written to you, young men, because you are what? Strong. Strong. And the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, do you see this refrain? You're going to see that he repeats a line in several of these passages. There's a repetition. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him. Then he says again, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. There's this refrain. And some have suggested that this is an early Christian tune. This might be an early Christian praise song or at least an adaptation of one. Just an idea but there definitely is this idea of repetition going on there, that's pretty obvious. I'm writing to you young men, what characterizes people that are kind of growing strong in the Lord and they're not babies anymore and they're not just children under instruction but they're, they're really beginning to stand on their own in the Lord? Well, he says, verse 13b, I'm writing to you young men characterized by overcoming the evil one. Spiritual warfare is understood. See, if we're really going to grow in the Lord, we've got to understand the battle we're in. We have to understand that this world isn't a playground. It's a battleground. We have to understand that we're warring against an adversary who isn't flesh and blood, but he is spiritual, and he moves behind. He moves in shadows and all, but the only way to overcome him is with the armor of God, Paul talks about that. And with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, we've got to keep the shield of faith up all the time because the enemy's always sh- shooting fiery missiles at us. And we can quench those missiles with faith faith in God's word. Somebody was saying the other day, well, it'd be really nice if, you know, we could just, if God would just speak to us. And, and I, was, I had been already ministered to earlier. Lord, just saying, you know, I've t- spoken to you. That's what the Lord was saying to me before I was talking to this person. I have spoken to you by my word, and I mean my word. And I don't have to say it 500 times to you. I don't even have to appear in front of you to say, I've said my word. Now, you either can believe my word or not believe my word. You can either trust me or make me out to be a liar. I'm thinking, okay, okay, Lord, you, you're, you're so right. I'm just wrong. I believe. And that's just a decision we're going to make. And then it's, okay, how do I feel? Doesn't matter how I feel. What do things look like? It doesn't matter how things look because this is what God said. And it's true. And we're going to trust it. And the timing and all of that stuff, that's God's department, not ours. But God will do his word. Young men, I'm writing to you young people. I'm writing to you people who are growing, mature in the Lord, he's saying, because you have overcome the evil one. He says that twice in 14b, you have overcome the evil one. Another characteristic is I've written to you, 14b, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Abides means to live in you. It's very important for us to memorize scripture. It's important for us, and you say the memorize word, and I know immediately think, ah, I can't remember, I am terrible at memorizing things, I can, don't ask me to remember, oh, come on. Baseball, soccer, whatever it might be. You've got it all here. You have no problem memorizing some things. Car models, part numbers, you know what I'm saying? Math, all this kind of stuff. Recipes. You know what I'm saying? We can memorize, we really can. I think it's just, we see. Well, how can I memorize this whole book? Well, you don't have to memorize the whole book. How about a verse? Well, you already know one, John three sixteen, right? You know the Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, that's two. Uh, what else do you know? You probably know Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It's, it's through use. And the way I'll memorize things is just a verse at a time, a sentence at a time. And the fact is, just a little aside, if you say a verse seven times, you'll memorize it. If you say it seven times. And then it's a matter of review. And you review it for seven days and you'll have it saved, all right? Simple and uh, you know just kind of be saying it over saying it over and it's okay and some i know somebody was telling me the other day he was saying you know i'm just feeling so bad because i can't memorize the bible all i can do is kind of paraphrase it in my head i said great do it that's enough you've got the truth of it so that's okay I mean, what, is there anything wrong if I say God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son and if you believe in him, you're not gonna die but you're gonna go to heaven. Is that okay? Do you think I captured John 3.16? Yeah, that's the truth. You don't have to, for thou hast, you know, you don't have to do those. Thou must, you know. thou needest to, you don't have to talk like that. Young men are known for Uh, Another, in this spiritual stage, there'll be believers, I notice believers who get kind of argumentative. They want to um, test their knowledge. Spar, they like to spar, okay? They like to, all right, Pastor Mark. (laughs) What do you think about? And it's cool to see them excited about the word of God wanting to share what they're learning, that is awesome. It's like when your kids come home at this kind of age in life and they're learning so much and if they share with you, my kids will share with me things from their biology or their history. They don't even talk math to dad, but they'll be, and I'm thrilled, some of it I know, some details I don't know or can't remember and they bring it back up and it's wonderful to see them Learning this. this will be the time when a lot of, a lot of people that are uh, uh, at, in this youth stage of spiritual maturity where I would say a vast, vast number of Christians are, they love um, apologetics. They love defending the faith. They want to learn about the cults. They want to learn about false doctrine. They want to defend the faith. You know, this is great. You've overcome the evil one. They want to understand this stuff and they know the word and love the word and awesome, awesome, awesome. But there is one more stage and in verse 13a and 14a, the apostle John says, I'm writing to you fathers because you what? Know Know him who has been from the beginning. Verse 14a, read with me. I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. The mark of real spiritual maturity going from baby believers to childhood to youth and now to real maturity in the Lord. The mark of real maturity is not how much you know about God but how well you know God. Few people who really know God are fighting over facts. They see things in a bigger picture. They're thinking, well, I don't know. Is it worth planting a flag on the hill and dying for this? They look at Father, and they kind of know Father's heart. No, this isn't the heart of God. This isn't what God would do. Some issues are worth dying over. Somebody was saying to me the other day, they were saying, well, you know, I I thought we were brothers. I thought that you were supposed to die for each other. And they were disappointed that I hadn't taken a stand on a certain issue. And I said, we are brothers. And we are supposed to die for each other. And I said, I would die for you if it was an issue worth dying for. But some things are not worth dying for, you understand? They aren't important. In 50 years, that's a great way to think about some things. In 50 years, what difference will it make? That motivates me. I think in 50 years, I won't be here probably. (coughs) So in 50 years, what do I want to do? I mean, what do I want to see? What would be important that I would invest in that will still be here in 50 years? Well, I love right where I'm at in a lot of ways. The word of God, people, working for the kingdom of God, that's all gonna be around long after I've come and gone. Um, There are doctrinal issues that are very important. In 50 years, the deity of Christ is the deity of Christ, and that will never change. Who the church is. Loving the people of God. You know, there are doctrines. Some doctrines, they're just huge and we could never compromise. Other things, you know, really is, you just have to look at, Father, what's your heart here? What would you want me to do? And so you want to be led by that. That is a a mark, a sign of being mature in the Lord. You know Him. Spiritual fathers, spiritually mature believers are people who have an intimate knowledge of God. The secret of the Lord are for those who revere him, David says in the Psalms. And the word secret means the intimate knowledge, God showing his, actually it means to be seated around a, a little table with the Lord. And he's sitting in there discussing things.
0: In Christ. The English Hour in our broadcast program. Here at Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, we strive to connect our listeners to engage with a community of believers as one body under Christ. Since 2000, we have dedicated our lives to make disciples of all nations through radio broadcasting. We are always encouraged to hear from you, so if you have any comments or testimonies that you would like to share, please feel free to email us at askhsgm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Heart and Soul Podcast on iTunes for weekly sermons. To learn more, visit heartandsoul.org. Please stay tuned as we are following a program that guides us to know what ethics Christians should hold, titled Christian Ethics.
3: Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with Christian Ethics. Last week we discussed the topic of homosexuality. Christians know and understand that God detests homosexuality, but many Christians are becoming numb with the fact that God also detests the wrong kind of heterosexual love. In 2004, Norway announced that 80% of firstborn children were born in an extramarital relationship. This news is very shocking. Many people in modern society are now more than ever choosing to cohabitate. Rather than marry, which is going against human history and traditions that have continued for over 5,000 years. Since the beginning of civilization, the act of making love between two individuals has always been controversial and often created chaos. Now, the Bible allows sexual acts only between a husband and wife. Now, there are many Christians who do not know this fact, and that is why many people question the Bible's limiting standard that allows sexual intercourse only in a married relationship. Now, all kinds of media and pop culture make it sound as if a very small percentage of unusual people agree with the traditional and biblical standard and that this minority is very boring and rigid. But in reality, the people who decide to live by the biblical standard and to put it into practice exist much more than we thought they did. Just as people's viewpoints on homosexuality has changed positively over time, their viewpoints on premarital sex and extramarital intercourse has also changed. However, it is more important to know what is right and what God's words are, rather than what the majority of the world's people believe and how they decide to live. First, the purpose of marriage is to give birth. When God created humankind, He created men and women, and in Genesis 1.28, commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fundamental purpose of sexual intercourse is to give birth or propagate. God created an ideal scenario where a child is raised in a family that has a mother and a father. Therefore, unbiblical sexual intercourse ruins God's ideal scenario. Because of this, we live in a society where abortion occurs and many unwanted babies are born. These babies are usually raised in broken families and often go through difficult periods of adjustment in school, job, and in marriage life. Another purpose of marriage is joyance. The book of Song of Songs depicts beauty of making love and joyance of marriage. God created sex. Therefore, people should not feel guilty about making love as long as it's between a husband and a wife. But Christians who strongly believe in abstinence judge sex as evil. Some Christians even claim that Adam and Eve committed sin because of their sexual act. However, these two ideas have no biblical evidence. Marriage also symbolizes the relationship between Christ and the church. Just as how we should not serve other idols or gods while we live a life of faith, we should not commit any kind of adultery or sexual relations with anyone except our spouse. Just as a spouse should be the only person for our sexual desire, God should be the only one for our spiritual desire. The act of making love brings a close intimacy between a husband and wife that they cannot and should not be shared with others. If one spouse is not true to the other, the expression of this intimacy will be lost. If faith is lost in this area, the marriage often ends in divorce. Therefore, the intimacy in the relationship we have with God must be the one and only love. In a relationship with God, there must be affection and devotion that cannot be compared with any other worldly spiritual power. The non-biblical act of sexual intercourse results in unintended consequences. As I've mentioned earlier, the consequences may be an unwanted child or an abortion in order to avoid having the child. Today's youth often make the mistake of confusing their physical desire with love and end up getting involved in sex, and the media diligently encourages them to do so. Many young girls fall into this and lose their virginity and are often left with broken hearts and bodies. If one truly loves his or her partner, they can wait because the most precious gift one can give to his lover is virginity. Having sex before marriage takes away that gift from the partner and this fact sometimes leaves a scar. According to statistical data, A couple who has sexual intercourse before marriage has the highest probability of getting divorced. The experts could not clearly find the reason for such an outcome, but the dominant idea is that people who break the rule before marriage would be more likely to break other rules after marriage. There is no need to stress the fact that adultery breaks a lot of marriages. Many married couples try to find ways to restore their broken marriage after adultery, but end up living the rest of their lives with a wound in their hearts and memories of sorrow due to the adultery. Sadly, most of those marriages end up with either separation or divorce. The biggest problem with extramarital intercourse is that it's a bad influence in one's relationship with God. The biblical way of sexual intercourse is extremely simple. It is to keep oneself pure for a spouse and to be faithful to the partner. If all members in our society acted likewise, diseases, abortion, broken hearts, and numbers of unwanted children would be reduced greatly. Although the sin of homosexuality is detested by God, there are many more people who commit sin that is related to heterosexual love And this sin corrupts our society in a much larger way. While it is not possible to cure all of our society's problems by keeping our marriage pure, the act of living by this biblical standard will result in a safe and satisfying relationship with one's spouse, and it sets the tone in maintaining a good relationship with God. This concludes today's episode of Christian Ethics. I thank you for listening and God bless.
1: Thank you
0: are some of the greatest worries we carry living as Christians. Many people worry about the formal parts of a religious life. Why is this? Why is it that we cannot act formally, but when our hearts desire spiritual worship for God, it turns into a mannerism or specific style of worship? After pondering this, I read the answer in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It tells us not to be conformed to the pattern of this world and to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But what exactly is considered the pattern of this world? The pattern of the world during the time of Apostle Paul when he wrote the book of Romans? Or today's pattern for the people who are reading the book of Romans now? it is referring to the corrupt pattern. It tells us something very important in this passage for Romans chapter 12 verse two, which is that we should not be conformed to these patterns. When we do conform, it actually takes effort to do so. But within this meaning, it also means for us to accept and adapt as well. So you might be able to conclude that this means that although we may not put in any effort to accept the ways of this world, Allowing those things to come into our minds is also conforming to the ways of the world. Once again, in order for us to conform to the ways of this world, we must aggressively make an effort to block the ways of this world from coming into our hearts. Again, it tells us in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 that we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It does not tell us that we must try to be transformed, but to be transformed. Why is this? This is because the center of our transformation is the Holy Spirit. Only Christ can transform us. If I, through my own strength, try to transform, then my ways in life may become a ritualistic religious act. But if I allow the Spirit to transform me, what could happen? My will and spirit has to die, and Christ has to have the power. Without this, we cannot be transformed. We need to make sure we clearly understand this. When I try to change through my own efforts, it will not last long. Within that, there is no fragrance or living Christ. Only with His power will it lead to an eternal transformation, and within it, that there will be a scent of Christ in eternal life. How come I still haven't changed after all these years? Why am I burned out? Why does everything just feel monotonous? If we have these questions, there is one answer. It is because I haven't died yet. I must die in order for the Lord to take me as a pleasurable sacrifice or offering. This is the spiritual worship and reasonable worship we must give. We must live every day denying ourselves, carrying our cross, giving over to spiritual worship. I hope this next week we may live not becoming conformed to the pattern of this world and that we may give everything we have as a holy sacrifice to God. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time next week and God bless.
1: You give life, you are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. It's your breath. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing